Hello, it's Matt and Becky here from Local Zero. Just a quick note to say before the episode starts that from April 2024, Local Zero will be looking for some new funding to keep it going. We never imagined when we started three years ago that we'd rack up tens of thousands of listens across 130 countries and with a website hosting over 80 episodes. We've also met and worked with some incredible people, including Chris Stark, Hannah Ritchie, Jim Ski, Hugo Tacom, and so many more. And we've been able to showcase so many amazing local climate initiatives from all over the UK and far beyond. But sadly, keeping the pod going costs money. If you or your organisation would like to partner up with the pod as we move into an exciting new chapter, then do reach out to us. You can contact us via our email, localzeropod at gmail.com. That's localzeropod at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can contact us on X, formerly Twitter, at localzeropod or on LinkedIn, direct to Matt Hannon or Rebecca Ford. Finally, to help us in our quest to secure funding, we want to hear positive stories from listeners about how the pod has influenced your life and your work. And we hope to do a very special episode on this too. So please help us continue the fight against climate change and bring local climate action to doorsteps across the world. Thanks for listening. Now back to the pod. Hello, I'm Dr. Rebecca Ford. And I'm Fraser Stewart, and welcome to Local Zero. This week, Matt's off on his holidays, so Fraser and I have decided to run things a little bit differently. While the cat's away, the mice will play, eh, Fraser? That's right, we're going to be shaking things up as I get out and about to talk to actual people in person about how they're working in their communities to create real social and environmental change. We'll hear stories from Lucy Gilly and Bill Fraser about how they're working to support their communities, heat their homes, grow local food, and support the environment and each other, all at the local level. And we'll explore how this is putting their communities on a pathway to a more sustainable, but also a healthier, happier, and more enjoyable future. And that's not all. We'll also be running our first ever interactive future or fiction, so stay tuned to find out how to get involved. As always, you can reach out to us on our dedicated Twitter handle if you haven't already. Go and find and follow us at Local Zero Pod to get involved with the discussions there. Also, you can email us at localzeropod at gmail.com if you need more than 280 characters to share your thoughts. So, Fraser, it's just the two of us this week then. Matt is uh, gallivanting about in the sunshine. I know. Doesn't it feel like the teacher's just had enough and gone away and left the classroom to to get on with it? I know. And he's left us no notes for this week. Where are Matt's (laughs) reams and reams of yellow pages? I know. We actually had to do our own background for this episode. It was (laughs) torture. Never again. I know. Matt, come back. We're sure you're having a wonderful (laughs) time in the sunshine with your family, but we miss you. So please come back. Uh, But whilst you are not here, uh, we decided to do things a bit differently, didn't we, Fraser? So let's let's talk about that and how today is going to be different from our usual episodes. So one thing that really excites me is that today we're going to be talking about real action that's actually happening in our local community. So most of these pods have focused so far on some of the really critical topics um, that you know we're all going to be facing as we try and deliver local climate action and address climate change and so on. But we usually delve into the challenges and how we can overcome these. Today we're putting that on its head and we're actually talking about you know what's being done already. That's it. That's it. It's a it's a different way of 
of doing an episode, whereas, like you say, we can often focus quite a lot, not just on the barriers and challenges, but at, at the high-level conversation, which is important and which has its place and which has led to some really, really amazing conversations with amazing people. Um, but what we've seen a little bit less of is the action that's actually happening within communities. And I think someplace like, so the people that we've talked to today, which we'll get into in, in a little bit, someplace like the south side of Glasgow, where so much action is happening holistically to combat the climate emergency locally, but also real embedded um, community work that's going on as well. It's the type of stuff that that really that Local Zero is is all about, I think. And I mean, even more importantly, we're talking about community action. You actually got to go out and be in the community with this, which is so exciting in and of itself, right? I got to talk to human people face to face. Wow. And um, without having to, to worry, without having to worry too much, I guess. But it was amazing, which is an, another reason why I think um, this episode is a little bit different and it is quite exciting because it's a different kind of conversation. It's happening in the community, in the spaces where the community action is also taking place. Also, it's an episode um, that is pretty much just me, which I think, if I'm not mistaken, the fans have been crying out for <laughs> this, this whole I see time. your head getting bigger it's and bigger. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, you're right. It's, it's being able to be in the space with people who also, um, Lucy and Bill, are stalwarts in this community around this type of action. Um, I've known both of them for the last little while. Bill, I work closely with on Glasgow Community Energy. So it was also as much as shining a light on the the work that they do and the the enormous amount of different kinds of benefits that that work has. It's just it's a very it's a very warm and a very practical uh, conversation that I hope that the listeners can can take a lot from. So let's talk a little bit more about our guests. So Lucy's a returner to Local Zero. Uh, we've heard a little bit about some of the work that she's been leading with South Seeds, but share us a share us a bit more. What's their focus? What really drives South Seeds? So South Seeds is a project, community local community project in Glasgow that covers a range of different environmentally focused. Um, issues. So they do a lot of work around energy efficiency in fuel poor households. They do a lot of community gardening and growing and sharing. They run the local tool tool library, for instance. They do a lot of um, outreach events with the community. But it started off their their main sort of uh, driving motivation when they began, and a lot of the the big work that they do is around. Um, affordable energy and efficient energy within the local tenement stock in Glasgow, as as most people know, it's a huge uh, a huge built up sort of place with old tenement buildings. So they work at improving efficiency and reducing energy bills for people who are sort of at the at the furthest, the narrowest margins in society. And Bill Fraser, he he's working in a slightly different but related area. Tell us a little bit more about about the work he's doing. Yeah, Bill is the is the the OG in local community activism in the south side of Glasgow. He really is. So Bill runs the Pollock Shields Trust, which is a a local community organisation that operate out of the Bowling Green. So the Bowling Green began, and Bill tells us a little bit about this in the interview, the Bowling Green began um, a few years ago as a little bit of of local green space. In the area in Pollock Shields, in the area that that Bill lives in, they'd realised that they had next to no green space and really limited access, like the the parks, the the, the larger green spaces were, were far away for people to travel to, especially for for locals there, especially for anyone with disabilities, for for mothers with kids and things like that. So they wanted to build green space that would reflect community need. Um, and it's built very much as a 
on the network that, that Bill and others, uh, countless others in that community, put together, included members from uh, local anti-poverty campaigners, from people in the Asian community that run sort of uh, food networks around there as well. A, a, real, a real melting pot of people came together to create this space that's now used for things ranging from community gardening to sort of cycle to work schemes to different climate outreach events and all kinds of stuff in between. So it's a much more uh, community-based operation, but very much motivated by that desire to reach out to the local community and to bring people along as they start to take climate and environmental action locally. So Fraser, I think we better jump into your interview. I mean, I can't wait to hear what uh, Bill and Lucy had to say about the work they're leading in their communities. Hi, I'm Lucy Gilly from South Seeds. Hi, I'm Bill Fraser from the Pollock Shields Trust. So we're down at the Bowling Green today doing an interview in person, would you believe, in these trying times. I think it's only fair since we're at the Bowling Green Bill, which is quite a, a hub for the work that you do at the Pollock Shields Trust. Can you give us a little bit of background to the Bowling Green and to the work that you guys do down here? Yeah, sure. Um, about um, six years ago now, um, we actually did a, a charrette, which is a sort of fancy uh, word for a big, really intense inquiry about this area, which is East Pollock Shields. It's a quite a small area, but it is a very challenged area in the sense that uh, um, there's a lot of poverty here, there's um, um, a lot of unemployment. And so we, we tried to find out what people really wanted um, from this, and we we'd held a long consultation session produced a huge great report and what happened was that we found people had very definite ideas about how they could make things better here socially and uh, also um, business-wise. The first thing that we found out was that uh, there was hardly any um, green space in the area. All the council maps showed differently but then they were looking at the wrong area and we worked out that uh, there was the equivalent of one sheet of A4 paper per inhabitant of this area, free green space. So the, obviously the first um, thing to do was to try and rectify that. This particular property was um, lying fallow for about eight years and we negotiated a deal with the landowner to um, take a lease on it and then to develop a series of um, activities. Basically, what, how this works is that um, the community decides what they want to do. We have a small staff who, you know, administer it and um, make sure nothing falls off. But um, we've targeted various groups um, who perhaps felt they didn't have a voice. And uh, so we have groups ranging from school kids who have outside classes here, and we, we do a lot of work with them on um, growing. We have... Um, uh, Muslim women's groups um, who want privacy uh, to do their, their, their thing. And we've got a community garden now, which is just beginning to take off because community garden is a very good place. It's, it's very universal. Nobody, whatever your religion or whatever your, your background, um, has bad things to say about gardens. So we use it, um, or we're going to be using a lot now for growing food. Also, um, uh, we're... we're working with the NHS on green prescribing, which means that uh, you, uh, if you have got one of the, um, you know, the sort of 
first world diseases like you're too big or you, you're, um, you're drinking too much, you're eating too much. You go to the doctor, you get some pills for your um, uh, uh, cholesterol and your weight uh, and then he'll prescribe you um, three days digging in the, the garden or words to that effect. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's one thing we're, we're, we're very happy to do. And then also we provide spaces here, most of it we provide to community units at no cost. We charge a little bit for people who've got uh, money and need um, to uh, get a fairly complicated space. So we're developing that as time goes on. And we've been running this now in this format for about a year. Brilliant, brilliant. So there's a clear green element to this along with the community element, but also interestingly a health element that we'll try and return to in a bit. Well also it's worth saying that Bill and I work together on Glasgow Community Energy which we'll definitely come back to um, but what we just found out or what I just found out rather before we started recording is that actually Bill and Lucy go back years and years and years as local community activists around here. So Lucy talk us a bit through about what you do with South Seeds as well. So South Seas was set up by local community people um, who wanted to change the look and feel of the area and make it more sustainable. So South Seas is based in a different neighbourhood on Victoria Road. We've got a high street premises, but we also have community gardens. Um, so people come along to our community garden sessions, but we have an energy service so we can support people to reduce the energy in their home, decarbonise their home. We have a tool library, we've lent out over a thousand tools and we run short life projects as well. Some of them are strategic about how we could bring um, low carbon heat to the area and others are um, short life projects about electric bikes or active travel. Um, so quite a wide variety of stuff. For sure, for sure. And of course, it's not just the only work that goes on in the area. The south side, generally speaking, this, this area is, is bustling with other work. And what I've noticed recently is more and more community gardens. It seems like something that we really enjoy around here. Uh, do you think, what do you think the sort of the main benefits of that, that way of doing things is? Why do you think there are so many community gardens on the south side these days? I think it's something that people can just get on with and make happen. It's within their agency to transform a small piece of land into something that's better um, through their effort. Um, so I think um, it's often creating a community garden is the first stage to finding a bit of ownership within that neighbourhood, if that makes any sense. So we know obviously the, the big sort of, the big green side to a lot of the, the work that we're doing. Was the climate or the environment or the green, the green aspect of this, was this your main motivation in the first instance or is it something more than that? It started out as something, uh, a place for people to congregate and get a community spirit going because there was nowhere. I mean, um, technically you could go to one of the huge great parks we've got around here but only if you haven't got a buggy and, and two small kids because you have to cross main roads to get there. But within the, the area, and we, you know, we're working very much now in the, in the future on 20-minute um, neighbourhoods or, or livable neighbourhoods. That's a, a theme we're developing. Um, you couldn't just walk uh, unimpeded and get to an area where you could let your kids run around. Um, you could actually do something uh, with your neighbours. You could get to know people. But when we started here, we took a deliberate um, uh, decision that we wouldn't 
clear the land and, and, and make it back into a bowling green again with nicely clipped lawns. And if you look around, you'll see that um, the, we, we stick to the council recommendations about rewilding. So we don't cut the hedges unless they have to be. Uh, we don't uh, cut the grass unless we have to be. And so we've got plenty of those things that uh, were de deliberate policy because people do, un do appreciate that. I don't think most people kind of go, oh, I want green, but they want to have the conditions in which they can do it. Yeah, and do you find then that when people come and they get into the green space where people, whether that's in a South Seas garden or, or down here at the Bowling Green, do you find that people then start to warm towards more green ideas and, and green sort of activities? Definitely, it's sort of like a first step, I think, and uh, people realise what they can do, what they can achieve, and I think then often people want more and they can see the value in it. And once they can see the value and they want more, then they're much more minded to get involved in sort of local campaigns or um, have an opinion on climate change or sustainability. So it's about showing people a practical way that they can start getting involved and then later on introducing some of the ideas and the concepts behind that. Yeah, yeah. And of course it's no, like we said before, there's no one thing that, that either the Pollock Seals Trust or South Seeds do. And something that I've always been really interested in, uh, for you especially Lucy, is the, the work around energy that you do at South Seeds as well, because it's not just, despite the name, it's not just about gardening, it's not just about those local green spaces, um, but there's some direct advocacy work going on too. I was wondering if you could maybe talk us through that a little bit. So with the energy, if we started off, we sort of the opposite of what happened with um, the Pollock Shields Trust. We started off a lot, lot a lot, uh, we're 10 years old, so we started off a while ago. and. We started off um, to enable people to um, live more sustainable lives and it's still our aim at the moment. But in doing that we realised that um, you can't just uh, enable people to save carbon immediately. You are taking people on a journey and you have to engage people as the first point of that journey. So if you ask people, um, can I help you with energy in your home? People are gonna to come to you with um, issues about billing and um, all sorts of understanding of their meter and their gas cards and uh, their keys, etc. And we can do all that now. So we've taught ourselves how to do that. And that's the same with the community gardens it's the first stage in understanding and getting engaged with energy efficiency in your home is getting to grips with your bills working out how much you actually consume what you're actually paying um, and then how can you change that I mean you can't change something you don't know what it is in the first place and often we find that there are so many cases of erroneous billing by energy companies um, I think that's even been noted by the BBC news lately and we see it all the time and if people are getting bills that are inaccurate it's very hard for them to get a grip on their energy anyway but then um, once we've engaged people um, on that we introduce um, the idea of energy efficiency where can they save money could they hang their clothes on a clothes pulley instead of uh, drying them uh, in a clothes dryer um, 
Do they need curtains? Do they need new windows? Um, what, what, what can they accomplish within their means, within the tenure that they live in? And the, the service is bespoke really, so we're taking people from where they are and giving them the solutions that fit their lives. Yeah, I think that's really interesting and I think I've, I've always been of the, I guess swapping out my local zero hat and into maybe the Glasgow Community Energy hat, always been of the opinion that you can't be overly prescriptive with these things, especially when you're working at a local level and you're trying to bring people in, whether that's bring people around to your way of thinking or if you just want to help people in their homes, in their lives, uh, you can't foist that onto someone, you can't force that onto someone. You have to listen and be empathetic and create space where, I guess, listening and solidarity can happen, right? So I guess this is something that the Bowling Green does especially well as that collaborative space, that coming together space. But there's also the other side of it as well that we talked about before, which is the, the health benefits to it, whether physical and mental health, presumably, right? A lot of this goes back to that wonderful phrase, community empowerment. You know, if the government's always talking about community empowerment, how things must be built from the bottom. But as, as, a, as a concept, it's, it's valuable to people like Lucy and I who can have been in this for a, for a long time but the average guy or the average woman doesn't know or understand what community empowerment is they're just raging at the man wanting to get something done but by a lot of the work we do here is with volunteers we have a very small staff we have a sort of core of maybe about 10 to 20 who come along regularly uh, and then we can get about up to 100 if we really want them because they've learned that what that because they can have a beginning, a middle and an end to a task, they feel satisfied and they feel empowered. And once they start to feel empowered, they suddenly stop raging at the man and go, I think I can do something about this. So volunteers is really at the base of what we do. And how much of, of your work, Lucy, relies on volunteers? Because I know you do have, you have paid staff there and there's funding behind it, but do you have sort of volunteers that come out for events and things like that as well? We do have um, some volunteers. We've got some apprentices that help us run the tool library and we offer training for their time. But really, we see everyone who participates in our service as a volunteer. So whether people are community gardening or even if we are helping them with their energy, we consider that their time is really, really precious. And for us to um, help well, for us to work on decarbonising the south side in terms of domestic heat, we need people's time. We need people to volunteer their time, come to us, engage with us, and we really, really value people's time. So we make sure that our service is useful, it works, it gives people outcomes, and people come back to us for more and more, and we can take them on that energy journey um, and take them as far as we can on the decarbonisation journey. Yeah, so there's an element, I guess, of, of building trust with the, yeah, the organisation, for sure. Something that you touched on, Bill, and I think it connects to this really well, um, you mentioned earlier that um, the Pollock Shields Trust and the Bowling Green you go out of your way to try and put on events for people who might typically be excluded, whether that's people on the, the very lowest incomes in the, at the, the very, very um, edge of the poverty line or below the poverty line or other marginalised people within the community. How do you find those types of people around here respond to what it is that you're doing here? And do you think that 
you can engage them more or better in, or in, in different ways. How do you make that happen? We're just a conduit for all this because what we're always looking for is to cooperate with other organisations. But I think one of the very good examples was, um, in fact, for us, uh, we can say that um, COVID has been uh, almost a blessing because it turned out that during the uh, COVID period, that um, there was a lot of uh, things exposed, like, for instance, shortage of food, shortage of money, uh, bad t treatment of uh, refugees, that sort of thing. And a wonderful um, operation started around the corner. It's called a, a food point. It's not a food bank in the, c the conventional sense. But um, it exposed the difficulties that people had of even just pay feeding themselves. So what we did was, we, uh, we, we were obviously in support of it. They do a great job. Uh, but we would then tie in with them and other groups around here and we'd not only just provide f food parcels but we'd have um, places you could come along and, and actually eat and enjoy yourself at, around festivals, Eid or Christmas or Diwali, that sort of thing. So those sort of things are, uh, you know, once you get people's attention you can actually keep it and um, we're, we try to be very reactive to that. Amazing, amazing. And this is something that I think when we talk about community organising, we, we can often assume that it is, look at it very romantically and assume that it is all inclusive and it is on the ground. It's not always the case, but I guess there has to be some deliberate process behind that to try and bring people in. And that must be especially uh, pressing for South Seeds, Lucy, when you're trying to help people in fuel poverty and help people reduce energy bills. Have you found that um, you've struggled to reach out or have you found successful like ways that work well to engage those on the margins? We have loads and loads of um, vulnerable people coming to us with energy issues in their home and that is because the most vulnerable people in society are often treated um, very poorly by energy companies and they need additional support. And once we started helping um, some people effectively, they were telling other people. And we really, our service spreads by word of mouth now. So people know we're there, they come along. And we put um, notices in the window. We also put stuff on social media. Um, so people come to us. They know that we can fix things for them. So they come to us. Yeah. And it is, it's, I, I can speak as someone who lives literally a stone's throw from the high street office that South Seeds is known. It's, a, it's an institution in that, in that area of the South Side as well. People know it there, so people do seek it out. But I think, it's, I think that's really important work and important things to, to cover, to not just accept that people who are already engaged or want to get engaged will come to you. You have to think of different means, but there are different ways of, of going about it too. I was going to say that it's, some organisations um, consider some people to be difficult to work with. But at South Seeds, we consider people to be in difficult circumstances and we work with everyone and we try to engage effectively with everyone and give everyone um, the opportunity of um, working with us and achieving good outcomes. And I think that's really, really important. Um, we have a culture in South Seeds where we don't talk about difficult people there aren't difficult people people can have be having a difficult time sometimes I'm having a difficult time and I might be perceived as a difficult person <laughs> you know we all have moments that are um, 
troublesome and uh, if people are having a crisis with their energy they are going to be in very difficult circumstances and that's something that we've worked hard to recognise. Here, here. Excellent. I think there's one, there's one good example that, that we could give you for this. When we were building this place, I mean it took us really about two years to build it for various reasons, mostly funding. We were working here away and the, the gate was open and then every day without exception somebody would come in and just say something like, oh, it's so nice to, to um, see this place open again. And I go back, I've lived here for so-and-so. But if you drill, they always got a cup of tea. And if you drilled down, you found that a lot of these were lonely people because there's a lot of um, uh, people living around here. Uh, maybe they're older and their family's gone. Uh, maybe they don't speak English very well. And because we have Tab, who's bilingual, you know, can speak... Uh, most of the South Asian languages, um, we, we got people to come in and talk to us, and then we discovered this wasn't actually about a cup of tea. This was I've got I've got problems, and so we would go out of our way to to help them, even if that just meant um, saying, "Look, um, we'll come to an appointment with you if it's somebody like DSS." In one case, um, there was a woman who was threatening suicide, but we were there to help. And that's not, that, that's not kind of what we're about. In fact, we have to train ourselves a bit better to deal with those situations in the future. But the fact that we were there and we were accessible was really all that people needed. And a lot of people that started off as, as lonely people or, or maybe a little bit depressed have become fast friends and have become volunteers because we say they'll come back and go, oh, um, what can I do to help? You know, well... That um, you know that hole needs digging over there, so get on with it. Well, I imagine as well, and of course through the pandemic, everything's been been heightened. I imagine places like the Bowling Green and Southsides have been a, a real lifeline for people during the pandemic. Would that be fair to say? Definitely, we've got an adopt a bed, adopt a raised bed um, at the Croft, which is a community garden we've um, built, and you know we've had record applications and sadly not everyone's been able to get a raised bed um, and loads and loads of people wanting support with energy as well um, I mean keeping children at home during the winter off school has meant that bills have skyrocketed and um, uh, people are really really struggling out there yeah so there's there's the obvious there's massive massive implications of these places or, or benefits of these places not just for local environment or, or energy or, or however we want to measure it but there's there's a community aspect a deep community aspect here and a deep personal benefit for people who are struggling for mental health for for social connection something else that i wanted to touch on before we start to move into the the bigger picture and the final questions was uh, specifically the health side of things so we covered mental health a little bit there but bill you'd mentioned that the, the gardens here are prescribed now as yes, something by the doctors. That's, that's, they're, they're, they're multifunctional. Some people just like to see um, and play, uh, not play, I should say play. They, they <laughs> like to do gardening. I'm, I'm the only person around here who's not very keen on it. <laughs> Everybody else seems to think it's a great idea. But, um, you know, that, so that garden there is, it was designed um, for us uh, by another group who specialise in that, Urban Roots. And um, we've got parts where they, you, people um, just simply want to plant flowers, 
some place where people want to plant uh, um, food to actually harvest for themselves or to give to the community. Some people want uh, to have um, herbs and, and reflective um, smelly bits and they just feel that that's kind of what they're doing. That's great. We welcome everybody who can who wants to do that. But it is, I mean, I, I think we here, we have a community garden. There's a small one, maybe about uh, 20 metres away to us, and there's a huge, great um, allotments uh, part. So we've actually in the middle of um, a, a somewhat calculated green zone, because when we look at the way this is working out, there's a green heart to Pollock Shields. And, and I think it's it's really beginning to take off. And I thought that your scheme for um, offering plants for people's gardens, that was that was great. That wasn't South Seeds, but that was... It was Ready, Steady, Grow, which is something I'm involved in on a voluntary basis. But we did offer tomato plants on street corners and uh, herbs as well, kitchen herbs. Yeah. I saw there was mint going. That was I, South Seeds. That was South Seeds, right. I missed out, they were gone. They were I gone, yeah. I eat mint with everything. They were fantastic <laughs> as well, because you can do so much with mint. It's the taste of the summer. It is. Yeah. It is. It's absolutely. So here's here's a kind of a bit of a curveball question for you. I didn't include this in the list that I sent, but from where we're sitting, right, we're sitting at the bowling green. We can see all the work that's going on here. Across that wall, I believe, is Soul Riders. On the building over there is Glasgow Community Energy. We're on Kenmuir Street, where the neighbours all came out to resist a, an immigration raid. From my flat, just 10 minutes up the road, I can see your shop, Lucy, South Seeds. I can see a gorilla garden over my back wall. What is it about this area that there's so much activism and environmental and green work and community-based work going on all in such a close there's space? There's something quite unique about this area. Firstly, it's one of the most densely populated areas in Scotland, and that is unique in itself. But the other unique thing is that the tenure of the properties tends to be a third, a third, a third. And what I mean by that is a third socially rented, a third privately rented, and a third owner-occupier. So that brings together a real mix of people that you don't necessarily get in other areas that might be a bit more one or the other. It also means that you've got a, a a, a flow of people who are coming through but you've also got some people who are always there as well um, and I think that helps you've got new ideas coming in but you've got people who can take those ideas and work with them over time so that combination of people plus throwing in the whole ethnic mix um, this area of South Glasgow because it's so near the train stations you can walk here from Central Station um, and Central Station is the train line that comes up from down south. Um, means that it's where immigrant populations have um, congregated. Um, so, like, uh, I'm from down south as well, so for me it's very attractive to live here rather than the West End or other areas of um, uh, Glasgow. So therefore, there's a whole mix of people and it keeps it fresh, ideas come in and people can work with those ideas and I think that's really important. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the history of this particular area where we are here, this was an immigration area going back to its when it was first built. This area was first built in the mid-19th century. Since it was in inception, it's been a progressive mix of uh, immigrants and by immigrants I can mean people from the islands because they were the first people to come here. Irish people came there. Um, the next um, big population was um, Jewish people. 
Jewish people gave way to uh, Muslim people. And now we've got this glorious kind of mix uh, here where what we've been trying to do with this area is to say, what do we have in common? Well, we're all from Pollock Shields. And despite several pretty horrendous attempts to, to make us hate each other over the years, they've all failed because uh, the, 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 the people who were trying to turn um, brown people against white people or black people um, were sent away because we weren't interested in that, that idea because we all like living here. We're all a little fed up sometimes with the state of the, the place and um, the recent fires and in our main high street hasn't helped. But you know we can see that this is a, an area that's continually regenerating itself and what we're trying to do is to say to people, you can be part of that. And people are actually proud of living here. I mean, you're actually, you actually live in this area. Do you, this I as do well? live in this area. I was going to say something about, um, I know that you, Fraser, live in a tenement close, and I live in a tenement close too. And I was going to say that living in a tenement close over time teaches you how to share effectively. And I think it's a skill. And I think if you can share effectively, you know how to participate in projects that involve sharing, like a tool library or a community garden. And you can become an effective participant of those projects as well. And I think where people have their own front door, that's great for them. Um, but they're not learning or maintaining that sort of sharing skill. Um, and I think because we all are sharing parts of our life throughout the day, we are much more mindful when we participate in projects um, as a whole. I don't know, it's just a personal opinion. So do you think that means then, does it, do you have to live in these perfect conditions to be successful in community enterprises like this? Or can these happen anywhere with the right motivations? I think um, a mix always helps because a mix means that um, people have to be accepting of new ideas. That means that it gives a project um, the opportunity to develop and evolve. And I think all projects need that. They might start off with one good idea, but they need further ideas to progress and um, develop over time. So for example, South Seas is 10 years old and we are a mix of so many different people's ideas. Um, our board meets every month, etc. And so I think um, communities do need, all communities need new people to come into them. I, I know what you're getting at, Fraser. Um, I mean, I've talked to people all over, the communities all over um, Scotland about various things. So if you have, for instance, a new community where, um, you know, a new uh, area has been built of, um, you know, two-bedroom, three-bedroom houses and people go, go there because they want more space for their kids or because it's cheaper, because it's of Glasgow, that's, that's a little more difficult. But I, I've talked to a couple of people uh, I, I, all it takes is um, you need some you need some community leaders in this. It doesn't just happen, you know. Uh, but you know they, they'll find an issue which um, they all uh, care about. Classically, it's traffic, or it's um, rubbish collection, or it's um, planning decisions, and so on and so on. Those are easy. They're easy to sort of get people to coalesce around. I mean, if I want to fill a, a, a hall any night, I just need to say it's all about rubbish <laughs> refuse collection easy you know or the other thing that will get people um, going is um, school provision 
in this area. So people do do respond to that, and I think would respond in most communities. But I think it would take a little more than than we we have to to actually get things going. But we've been at it for 150 years. Brilliant, brilliant. I think that's useful as well that the tell people it's about the bins and they'll come to your meeting. I think it's a very useful uh, piece of information for our listeners. Tackle the issues people want to tackle. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's what we find so much, um, and especially our three of us have had conversations uh, before and we talk in our communities all the time. Uh, when you're talking especially about um, climate or environmental issues, which can feel quite abstract, I think it's important to, to wrap that up in people's lives and make it relevant to them. Yes, but first definitely. and foremost is going in with open ears and an open mind, isn't yes. it? It's, that's the way to do it. Okay, I think we'll, we'll wrap up with one last question. Answer it however you want to, but we always, on Local Zero, we try and leave with something positive, something practical. If someone's listening to this and they're saying, I want to set up a Bowling Green, I want to set up a South Seeds, in my area. What's your one golden nugget of advice for them? How, what, what do you say to our listeners there? I would say start talking to other people about your idea and see if other people feel the same because you need a whole load of people to get these projects off the ground. None of these projects are about one person. South Seas isn't about me. South Seas is about everyone who participates in it and the board that run it and you need um, to get people together. That's really important. That's a first step. Brilliant. Bill, what's your one golden I nugget? agree with, with all of that. Um, I think the only thing I would say is it will take twice as long as you thought and costs about <laughs> five times what you actually budgeted for, for this to happen. It's a, it's, it's a tough um, uh, road to follow, but it's very well worthwhile when you get to it. And, um, you know, we, we get quite a lot of people who come into this and say, how did you do it? Well, it wasn't there wasn't anything magic. We didn't have a book anywhere. Uh, we just got at it and as Lucy said we involved local people this is what people people responded to what they want to do here and they respond to things I mean for instance I think that uh, renewable energy is going to be another big one because we'll be talking to schools about that and um, developing the whole idea of of community-led businesses. I think that rounds us off nicely thank you very much both of you for your time. Wow, Fraser, what a conversation and what inspirational stuff happening just on our doorstep. It really was amazing. And it did feel like there, there was so much of it. It was very natural, uh, very enjoyable, but it felt like you were getting both the, the insights into the work that's going on, but also like a little bit of history of the area and a bit of the, the, the context of it as well. It was really, really great stuff. Well, I mean, that's, that's the key, isn't it? It's not just an energy project. It's not just an energy group. It's embedded in the communities. It, it, captures that history and the culture and the social structures. I mean, for me, that's what's really powerful. It's not about coming to a community and trying to offer something and and solve their problems. It's about hearing what people are saying, having those conversations, you know, over the years and trying to create things, building up from that community to to really support them in, in doing what they want and creating that better lifestyle. 
Absolutely. And this is something that came out of what uh, Bill and Lucy both had to say was that when they were beginning these projects, it was never about we have this awesome thing we want to do and then prescribing that on to people. It was always about we're going to build connections. We're going to talk to as many different people as we can who live here and see what they want to see, see what might work for them, see what needs they have and and the, how they want their community to, to operate and, and look and, and whose interests and, and what it might do. So it's absolutely built on not just on the community project up, but the community project is built very much on building solidarity and those fundamental social connections among people who live who live locally. That's it. It's the social connections as well, because, the, you know, and the other thing that I think was really quite exciting is that they're engaging with such a diversity of people. For sure, for sure. And there's no way um, to get around that, especially in this area. So much of the population, it's such a diverse population that you have to have to consider that as you're putting these projects together and and bringing these um, these networks together. But also it's so refreshing to hear that they're paying very special mind to doing that. So like when Bill was talking about uh, bringing in specifically women from the Asian community who don't often have a, a safe space or a, or a voice in local environmental action, uh, bringing them into the fold, making them feel part of it. People who are lonely and isolated, especially throughout COVID. But then Lucy's work at South Seeds about reaching people on the narrowest sort of economic margins as well to help them with fuel poverty, with energy bills, which we're finding, or, or certainly the people like Bill and Lucy are finding, tends to to serve as the foundation once they get that support or feel included there. It's a foundation, it's a springboard for other types of, of action and get involved in other sorts of ways as well. So it's very holistic, but as we know too often from climate projects and energy projects, they can be quite exclusive to certain groups or certain people. So to hear that at that level, they're really making the effort to bring everyone along with them. It's a, it's an amazing thing. Yeah, bring everyone along with them. I mean, for me in, in two ways, obviously fuel poverty is a massive issue and the fact that, you know, South Sea is doing such exciting work to really reach out and support people who might be at the risk of being left behind in the energy transition. I mean, that is, it takes a lot of work. There are people that are probably much harder to reach and, and it's really great that they're tackling that. But as you say, it's not just about making sure that people don't get left behind. It's also about bringing them into that network, bringing them into that community and allowing them to have a voice and a say in in their area, in the future of their area, that network building, those social connections. And actually, you know, I think this, this kind of ties back to, we talk about energy, we talk about climate, but it's so deeply intertwined with our health and our well-being. Yes, absolutely. This is the final point that I wanted to touch on that seemed so critical and so crucial and central to all of the work that that both Bill and Lucy, and bear in mind, it's not just them, right? They've got whole teams of volunteers and organisations behind them. Um, but all of the work that's going on in these spaces have such um, significant mental health and well-being impacts and also physical health impacts as well. So one of the, what, what I thought was one of the most interesting things was Bill was saying at the Bowling Green, doctors locally, the NHS locally, prescribe time at the Bowling Green for people who are struggling with their, whether that's cardiovascular health, uh, with stress, with loneliness, with mental health issues, which is a really beautiful thing. But of course, the other side of that um, with South Seeds, who do the community gardening, which helps to bring people into the fold, but also doing that fuel poverty work, relieving stress for people, making homes warmer over the winter as well. It's not just about 
bringing people in the community, although that's an amazing thing that they do. It's not even just about the climate, the environmental, the wider impacts that they have. It's having a direct impact for people relevant to their lives, but very, very real and very physical and very immediate to them as well in a way that's noticeable in a way that I think a lot of other stuff that we do, it doesn't really reach people in that way. But when you have that, that really nice social space with the environmental side of things, with that ambition to bring as many people into the fold as you can. The the, the benefits, the co-benefits, the wider impacts are incredible. They really, really are. Yeah, and I think I want to take that spirit of social connections and bringing people into the community, into our local zero community and our new, very exciting interactive future or fiction. So what have you got in store for us this week, Fraser? What an amazing segue. What an amazing <laughs> segue. Very well done. <laughs> yeah, so a slightly different episode this week, Becky, because we don't have Matt around to dunk on and to take the mick out of in Future or Fiction, we're going to play it interactive with the listeners. So for the uninitiated Future or Fiction is a game where I present usually our hosts and panellists, but today I present our audience with a brand new technological innovation. And you have to decide whether you think it's real, i.e. it's the future, or if you think I have just completely made it up. So, the technology today is called... Power Tip. That is Power Tip. So we know that the human body uses and generates energy, obviously, but how about this? Researchers have devised a technology that can harness the power in your sweat to charge small devices like your mobile phone. Simply wrap the flexible technology around your fingertip before you go to sleep and you can wake up to a full battery ready to tweet and listen to your favourite local climate podcast for the rest of the day. Becky, what's your initial feeling about Power Tip? Bear in mind that you're not to answer this. This one's for the audience. No, I, I, won't. I absolutely won't. I'm actually very pleased that I am not on the chopping block this week. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure if I'm grossed out or not by the fact that my sweat could be used to power my phone. <laughs> I have all sorts of bizarre images going around in my head. My initial thought is, I, I mean, bearing in mind this week in Glasgow, it has been ridiculously hot, but it is probably the only week in the year that I would really ever sweat that much living here. So I'm thinking that this might be a great technology if you live perhaps in, you know, Spain or the Caribbean or Central America. But for us up in Scotland, hmm, I'm not I'm not so sure. Having said that, I have been very wrong before by basing my judgment on the practical realities of this technology as opposed to whether it can be done. Yeah. You need to learn your lesson eventually. Yeah, I do. I, I do. That's, the, the, that's, the, that's the key for, for all guests, for everyone who's ever participated in this, in this segment of the show. They always think they can logic their way out of it, and you can't. We can't at all. You can't. And now we will be returning to this in our next episode. And do you know what, Fraser? I think we should make Matt answer it at the beginning of the next episode. I think we absolutely should. Right at the beginning and then... Right at the beginning. And then we'll do another one with him at the end and just double down completely <laughs> on the torture for him. But yes, we will reveal the answer in the next show once we have Matt happily back with us. In the meantime, we are relying on you and trusting you all as the lovely people that you are not to go away and Google this, please and thank you. 
And if you think you have a hunch about whether it's the future or fiction, you can head over to the Twitter at LocalZeroPod, where we've got a live poll pinned at the top of our Twitter profile, and you can cast your vote there. I guess all that's left for us to say is thank you. Thank you so much to to Bill and Lucy for such great insights. And of course, Fraser, to you for going out and having a great in-person conversation with them. And uh, and remember, reach out to us via Twitter at LocalZeroPod or email us localzeropod at gmail.com. We're always happy to hear from you with suggestions for future uh, episodes or comments about what you've heard so far. But for now, thanks for listening. Bye. Produced by Bespoken Media.